0: Have you like funky flavors?
1: Mm. I have a big delicious beer. Oh no. What
0: are you? An idiot sandwich. It smells like you're cooking it right here in the house. Welcome to Kid
2: Burger. Home of the
0: Good
3: Burger. Can I take your order?
1: <laughs> to me with brewing it's about harmony. It's like every single ingredient needs to play well with the other ingredients.
3: Welcome to a brand spanking new edition of the Court of Nerds Empire. And yes, it is going to be an empire. I'm West Coast Avenger Greg, joined by Captain Dick Sledge and John. And we are going to be talking about something that we've kind of always talked about on all the other casts, but we decided to branch out a bit and do food. Yes, we are going to be discussing things of the culinary variety in this podcast. We even, a little bit later on, have an interview With someone in the industry, it's really, I mean, it's in the description, so you already know. It's Sean O'Sullivan, who is the co-owner and head brewer of 21st Amendment Brewing uh, in the Bay Area. Um, It is a fantastic interview, uh, and it is so much fun, I can't wait for you to hear it. Uh, So, first things first, let us dive into food news. Kevin, what you got?
0: Coming from the East Coast. Uh, if you find yourself, like John Madden often did, driving between New York and Boston, you kind of have to go through this little state called Connecticut. That's the state where I live. Now, there's a lot of really old taverns and historic bars that litter New England, some genuinely good, and some where you pay for overpriced beer just to sit in a 300-year-old building. If you're on the less adventurous, you know, side, you would probably find the closest corporate chain and feel safe, if not a little sad. You end up finding out that, unlike the Midwest, there are not very many Applebee's across from a Chili's catty-quarter to an olive garden in every town. New England doesn't tend to support chains, uh, unless they're New England chains. <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts are all over the place.
3: <laughs> oh, man. Seriously. It's like Tim Hortons in Canada. Yeah. Uh, yeah except Or Starbucks in California.
0: Except just not as good as either of those. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh but we do have our own local chains. Uh one of them is called Wooden Tap. They have nine locations throughout the state, all of which are on the drive toward Boston. Uh and if if you would consider them a chain at at having nine, uh their newest one is the one that they just built up in Farmington. Uh now before I you turn away from me and disgust by me talking about a chain restaurant. I want to point out that when I went there, uh, first, I didn't know it was a chain. You see, I'm a transplant. And when I got there, I experienced an excellent atmosphere with amazing tavern fare and a knowledgeable staff that have the perfect beer pairing for every entree pairing. Uh, The main problem is, like most places in the Northeast, that their old location didn't have any parking. Like, the valets had to use satellite parking lots, Uh, many of which you had to go over a major thoroughfare to to get to. Uh, That is until now, because they bought up and redesigned Apricot's Farmington River location. Literally, it's on the river just across from the high school. Uh, It has enough parking to accommodate everybody that could actually be put inside of the building. The menu is still excellent, and you don't have to wait. So, if you're making the trek from New York to Boston, and you need a bite stop by and pick up some peanut tie wings and wash
3: it down with some Clown Shoes Galactica. You won't want to leave. The fact that they have clown shoes is just excellent. Clown shoes is fantastic.
0: And Yeah, and one of the perks of, of living out you know here because you can find clown shoes everywhere.
3: Mm-hmm. John, what you got for us in food news?
2: Yeah, well, I don't have a great story to go along with mine, but are you guys fans of the Oreo?
0: Yeah. Like, like the the, the, the thing with the white in the middle.
3: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, okay. the sexual chocolate on the outside, white in the middle. I'm there.
2: <laughs> oh, there's a peanut gallery back here, but Waka-waka. the <laughs> the Oreo <laughs> can't even it. The Oreo came out with a limited edition Oreo called the most stuff. Now, hmm. if you have, if you're near a computer right now, which I think both of you are. Google this thing. It is the most ridiculous-looking cookie Oreo-wise. It's like when you were five years old and you took all the cream filling out of, like, six Oreos and made one big Oreo. Like, that's how much cream is in these things. Yeah, it's thick with two
3: Cs. Oh, yeah, for
2: sure. Thick with two Cs, for sure. But (laughs) this thing is nuts. I think they sell it only at Walmart or most stuff Oreos at Rite Aid. Um, Walmart has them but it's limited edition uh, you can't get them on shipping so you have to go buy them in the store but if you're a fan of Oreos they have a limited edition mega stuffed Oreo it looks ridiculous have you seen it? did you look it up? oh yeah uh, this just... thing is huge no it's it's stupid big and uh, I think I'm going to have to go get a pack so mm-hmm. that's uh, that's my food news
3: anyway You dunk that into some milk and it will take over your milk, basically.
2: Yeah, I can't wait.
3: So I had a special experience this week where um, I went to a restaurant and I happened to try, for the very first time, the Impossible Burger 2.0. I never got a chance to try the 1.0, but I got to taste the 2.0 as that is the one that is being rolled out. Now, if you don't know what the Impossible Burger is, it is a meatless vegetarian hamburger that has all of the exact same flavor profiles that actual burgers do It chars like a burger does it has some of the same heme which is that kind of ready uh, the the reddish um, bloody type look to it and it actually is made with that same type of heme to give it that same profile um, so I tasted this thing and I thought I was eating an actual burger I was like are you kidding me this is this is. This isn't a meat burger. It's vegetarian. That's insane. Uh, I had no idea that it was going to be that good, and I am now of the opinion that I will absolutely eat more of these things. Um, Apparently, Impossible Foods, the people that have made this thing, are working on their next project, which is steak. An all-vegetarian steak. And it's supposed to char like a steak does, uh, have that same feeling that a steak does and you can chop it up and utilize it in all the same stuff. And I'm actually really excited for this because it's really, for one, uh, and hot take, the meat industry is kind of really messed up in this country uh, and has just a terrible, terrible uh, track record with you know animal abuse and everything. and I'm not going to get into that whole thing. but uh, I love meat. I really, really love meat. It's so delicious. How but much do could, you love meat, Greg? <laughs> I love all of the meat, especially if it is your meat, Kevin. Um, What's weird is I also, always say I love sausage
2: so much, like it's not even a thing, uh, but
3: I I e- love the sausage. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's definitely the worst thing that you could ever say that you <laughs> exactly. like. Exactly. So here the, <laughs> now the puns are coming out, and we haven't even started drinking yet. Oh, that I have. <laughs> uh, but I'm excited because if Impossible Foods does what they uh, what they claim to do, they will completely revolutionize uh what it means to be eating uh steak and beef and maybe in the future chicken we will see have you guys had the impossible burger at all
0: i i've had numerous vegetarian burgers but i've never had the impossible burger and i would like to take some contention with the the statement that you said (laughs) it's supposed to feel exactly like the steak like the impossible steak it's supposed to feel like the steak it Plants don't feel like animals. That cow suffered, all right? Yes. I don't think, I'm pretty sure those trees didn't suffer. Not in the same way, at least. And so yet, I don't,
3: and yet the burger itself does taste actually like it has that same mouthfeel that, that an actual beef hamburger does. It's the weirdest thing. Like, you would not think that this was actually not meat.
2: Okay, but hmm. I feel like you would be able to imitate ground beef way more easier than a grain steak, you know, like yeah, trying to yeah, get that peel from a steak. Like there's I, ew, I don't know about that. That one's that's tough. I would be down to try it because I've had vegetarian burgers and I'm like, I know it's not meat. It tastes fine. It's not like it's bad, but mm-hmm. it, it's just, you know, I prefer a beef hamburger over a vegetarian. Sure. Burger. But I'm definitely down to try it. I would not ever put it against anyone to t- want to try it. That's for sure.
3: I all I'm, all I'm saying is I'm not necessarily a convert because I'm still going to be eating the hell out of some beef. Um, but <laughs> exactly. I would recommend that you guys at least try this thing at some point and be like, oh, wow, that's not what I was in, expecting.
0: Hmm. I, I'm pretty sure they serve it at uh, the BurgerFi restaurants. Uh, I don't know if they have those out by you guys but uh it's a uh, it, think of think of five guys but good <laughs>
2: <laughs> so where would you go to get the impossible burger is it like a restaurant thing or do you have to or can you buy them frozen at the store
3: um so primarily you can buy the actual ground beef itself uh, and make it yourself but you can also go to a bunch this like a, a, a ton of restaurants in California have this thing um but you know California is as California does. Uh, So I I don't expect it to have like a widespread appeal just yet, but it is going to get there. I guess they've stepped up their production in like a really big way. And we're going to start seeing it in more restaurants moving forward. Like, just like if you go to a restaurant and you have the vegetarian option for a a hamburger, it's going to be alongside that vegetarian option. They'll have the impossible burger option. It's like a dollar more expensive, but legitimately not terrible. Um, I will probably end up eating it again.
2: So a dollar more so. expensive compared to a vegetarian burger or a regular burger?
3: No, compared to, like, a regular hamburger. Okay.
2: Okay, yeah. so, you know, about the same as trying to get a vegetarian burger either way.
3: Yeah, okay. pretty much. Yeah. So it's usually okay. around this time of the show that we are going to throw to John, and John is going to tell us about what kind of foods he has been cooking himself.
2: All right, well... I don't know if you guys know Miss uh, Chrissy Teigen. I oh, do, yes. John Legend's wonderful, beautiful wife. So my girlfriend loves her, and she has both of her books. We have some Chrissy Teigen pinch bowls, measuring cups, uh, pots and pans, the whole the whole ordeal over here. So one of the first things I ever made her was Pepper's Spicy Clams and Pasta, which was out of Ooh. Chrissy Teigen's... Uh, First cookbook, if you guys can see that. We're on Skype, everybody, so we can see each other. So I know it's not a visual medium for you guys. But... He just showed us
0: a picture down a woman's blouse. Yeah, pretty That's pretty much, pretty much yeah. what Pepper, I saw. Pepper,
2: spicy, clam, and pasta. So that is... <laughs> I'm sorry. But, uh, yeah, it's it's wonderful. It, it includes kosher salt, 12 ounces of dried linguini, one stick, four ounces of unsalted butter, Two tablespoons of extra virgin olive oil, eight cloves of garlic. So, if you like garlic, this one's for you for sure. Uh,
3: so, we th- want to triple that amount if it's for somebody who is Italian.
2: Yes. Yeah, I put like at <laughs> least 24 cloves of garlic in mine. <laughs> but also, uh, one teaspoon of red pepper because it's supposed to be spicy. Uh, so, pepper flakes, actually. Uh, half cup of dried wine, uh, white wine. One fourth teaspoon freshly ground black pepper. Two pounds manila clams scrubbed. I don't think I could find manila clams, so I just went to Fish Lads. Uh, if you're out in California on the West Coast where Greg is, you could probably go, you know, anywhere and find better clams than what I found, but they were still pretty good. And then a half cup of chopped fresh parsley for garlic, or not for garlic. garnish, and... For flavor on the inside of the dish as well, it turned out really well. It's kind of interesting on how it cooked it. I did it in a cast iron pan. It's uh, just mm-hmm. kind of waiting for the clams to open. Once you're done, it's fairly easy, and the sauce is fairly thin. So you just kind of kind of make it all together in the pot. It's like a, it's a one pot meal for sure, and mm-hmm. um, I highly recommend it. Um, it's in Christy Teigen's first book. Uh, serves four. It's about Ten minutes of prep time and twenty minutes total cooking, so it's really not that hard. Because you basically just have to boil the water for the noodles, and then you know throw it in with a clam sauce when you're done, and just stir it together. So mm-hmm. it's quick and it's kind of fancy yet easy to make. So that's my recommendation.
3: Excellent. And what we will do is we will add the uh, the recipe to uh, the notes section of this podcast. So if you would like to cook it yourself, you can. Uh, maybe shoot us a tweet of your uh of your finished product, and uh, we will have John cook it again, and he will take photos, perhaps, or maybe we <laughs> will take photos of our terrible concoctions of this, and uh, see how it looks. Yeah, I'd love to make it again.
0: He's just gonna like take pictures of random things and put it up on the in the feed. There
3: we go. Yeah. We'll just take pictures of, like, clams, actual clams, and say, nah, screw it, we we gave up, and we just boiled these, and we're just gonna eat these.
0: Back in 2002, the heady days of 2002, uh, I was in Ireland, uh, living uh, on an island called Ockel, off of the the west coast of County Mayo, and uh, literally in a house uh, right by the ocean, with a bunch of other students my age, and... Everybody, you know, college students, poor. Uh, what are you going to do for meals? And one of the girls got in their high Well, we there's there's the ocean right there. Let's just get some uh, kelp and we'll make a kelp salad, and then we'll boil limpets. Now, limpets are those little like shelled creatures and stuff uh, that you find stuck to rocks.
1: Uh, oh, okay. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh might I recommend leaving them stuck to the rocks? Uh in the house I was I didn't cook, uh, and so I was then the test the guinea pig for, for the girls that did. And so they always brought whatever they were making to me because I pretty much ate anything. You know, a stupid American. And so they could just give it to me and I'd try it. This was the one thing that I could not swallow. It it was chewy. It was salty, and it was in no way, shape, or form edible. And when they tried to pair it with the the kelp, that was also, it's like, I mean, what, I don't know how much more you could have washed it and left it out to dry to not make it taste like you were licking, you know, salty sandpaper. It was
3: horrible. Oh,
0: God. Uh, so, um, for those that like to forage and stuff like that, uh... Stick to the land because, no, it was, it was bad.
3: <laughs> Don't forage in the ocean.
2: Sure.
3: And I think most foraging is probably a bad idea unless you're foraging for morels.
2: <laughs> That's a topic
3: for a different day. Yes, maybe in the future we will go over morel recipes during morel season. All right, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back and talk to Sean O'Sullivan, the co-owner and head brewer of 21st Amendment Brewing. This podcast made
0: possible by our good friends at Tardy's Collector's Corner. Like them on Facebook, follow them on Twitter and Instagram, and be sure you're checking for all the latest and greatest at Tardy's.
3: I'm West Coast Avenger Greg, uh, sitting down with a very special guest, Sean O'Sullivan, who is the co-owner of 21st Amendment Brewing. Sean, thank you for joining me.
2: Yeah,
1: absolutely. It's exciting to be here talking about the 21st Amendment with you.
3: Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the, uh, it was sort of the best thing to ever happen to beer, so. Yeah. (laughs) And we're doing it here at the brewery. Exactly. Right. (laughs) Uh, So you guys got started. It was a little bit different. Um, How did you and Nico end up uh, uh, like getting together? Meeting up. Yeah, meeting up.
1: Yeah, so, you know, the story is that uh, I was living in Southern California and I was sort of, I was working at this law firm and as a paralegal and thought I was going to go to law school or business school and didn't really want to do that. So I had started homebrewing and had this, you know, this sort of idea, this fantasy that one day I wanted to open my own brew pub. It Mm -hmm. was, you know, this is back in like the early 90s. And so I'm, there wasn't really anything happening in Southern California at the time with craft beer. It was, it was kind of a bleak landscape. It's completely changed now. Now it's very dynamic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I moved up to the Bay Area because a lot was happening up here, and I'd fallen in love with the Bay Area, you know, visiting friends who were going to school up here when I was down south. and So I moved up here. Got a job very quickly at a place called Triple Rock Brewery in Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Nico had kind of been living in the same area I was in, Los Angeles, you know, on the west side. Mm-hmm. And he wanted, he was kind of had the same aspirations. We didn't know each other down there. We moved up together around the same time, not knowing each other, like I said. And then so he came in one day and uh, you know asked for a tour of the brewery. He was writing for the Celebrator Beer magazine, the local beer paper, and uh, gave him a tour. And uh, that's how we met. And then a handful of months later, I was out at UC Davis taking courses on brewing. And he was doing the same thing. He was writing about these courses, these brewing courses at UC Davis for the Celebrator Beer magazine. And so um, we, at one point, there's a lab component of the whole course. And so we decided to become lab partners, you know, just like you're in high school again, you know, with the Bunsen burner and sitting there together. And so we just fostered a friendship at that time. And then I, invited him back to brew with me as a guest brewer at Triple Rock. And as all guest brewers do, he's cleaning the mash tun out. And we kind of like, it literally is this story, is that I said, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? And I said, I want to open a brew pub. And he said, I do too. And he goes, well, I'm already brewing. And he said, well, I've been running a restaurant. He was uh, trying to be an actor in Los Angeles. He'd gone to Northwestern and Chicago. So basically
3: like 90% of the people that live exactly. in Los Angeles. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Managed restaurants, started restaurants. And so he said, Let's, uh, I'll, do the, I'll do the restaurant side. You do the brewing side. And that's where it was hatched. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we found a space in 1998 in south of Market Area in San Francisco and um, right near the ballpark Mm -hmm. and uh, we opened in august of 2000 um and at the same time that year the uh the giants started playing baseball just down the street from us and it was just that it was just that easy
3: (laughs) yeah so what what prompted the uh uh the opening of the location in san leandro which is where we're we're currently yeah so we're in a
1: yeah right now we're in san leandro we're in a very large what used to be a kellogg's factory so this whole complex here even on the other side of where we are now uh, where there's a bunch of warehouses and whatnot. We, uh, they used to make cereal here, Pop-Tarts and whatnot. So they left in 1995. And the building essentially has sat fallowed since then. Um, and so what happened was, is that we opened the pub in 2000. We actually got into canning beer in about 2006, 2005, 2006, after I took a trip out to Colorado and kind of fell in love with this brewery that was canning their beer called Oscar Blues. Mm-hmm. Uh, they Dale's Pale Ale. This is back when nobody was doing it. It was like probably five breweries in the country, oh, craft yeah. breweries that were canning their beer. I came back and I told Nico how I have this great idea, how are we are going to expand the business and take our two most popular beer. and the back then they were just called IPA and watermelon wheat and we're going to put them in cans. He thought it was the dumbest idea in the world, but mm. he looked into all the great reasons that we know now about portability, better for the beer and all that. And so we started canning our beer in 2006 in a little like two head canner in the back of our brewery there in San Francisco. And uh, then it kind of kind of took off. Mm-hmm. And, but we had all these cans. We had to buy like a million cans. And we realized we did the math. It was going to take us like 80 years to go through oh all gosh. these cans. Yes. So we took a page from our friend Pete Slosberg, who owned Pete's Wicked Ale back in the day, and what Sam Adams did. And we decided we would partner brewer or contract brew our beer. And so I originally bought like a larger canny line. I was going to plan to drop it into a local brewery and talked to several larger breweries in the area that maybe we could do that didn't work out. Mm -hmm. And so we started canning and producing our beer out of state in Cold Spring, Minnesota in 2008. And so we were with them for a long time. And then we ran out of capacity there. And we also wanted to do more with our packaging and more innovation. And so we decided that we would pull the trigger on this huge space here.
3: This place is, it's magnificently big. It is. It's is. Great.
1: It's, it's, it's ginormous. It's ridiculous. It's 165,000 square feet. It's like five Holy acres. crap.
3: So, yeah, I know. You gotta take like a golf cart to get from one end to the other. You do,
1: when you're doing projects here and you forget something and you have to walk back and get it, it's yeah. like this back
3: and <laughs> forth thing. You're like, oh
1: God, I've walked 10 miles today. Right, yeah. So Getting those points on your Apple Watch. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so that's sort of, that's the reason why we wanted to open this facility is we kind of wanted to control our own destiny. And uh, it was really a dream of Nico's and mine to like, you know, to have a brewery that you could walk through and kind of, you know, smell the malt in the air and mm-hmm. sample the romantic notion that, you know, that all that brings. And,
3: uh, and that's why we're here today. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, Now you guys, uh, when you began canning, was it the Heller High Watermelon? Yeah. I know that one is the one that you guys are really well known for.
1: Yeah, we that was one of the beers, um, and it was. But back when we first started canning on that little two head system, they were just called IPA and watermelon wheat, and so those are the two most popular beers. And so when we started getting into more of the packaging and branding and we hooked up with this company that suggested that we kind of come up with these different differentiating names and different and the look of the, the, the packaging and all that. And so um, that's when we came up with Hell or High Watermelon or Brew for Your Die IPA.
3: Which is just they're great names by the way. Great I long love, names. Yes. Yes, exactly. Just like the Twenty First <laughs>
1: Amendment, Twenty First Amendment brewery. Right. At exactly. the first and we first opened, you know, it was like that was a mouthful. So <laughs>
3: Uh, what was your favorite failure? Because I'm sure that with <laughs> it, in the brewing, no, so like in the brewing process, yeah. you know, you have this great idea for a beer, and you're like, oh, this is gonna be great. Let me try yeah. this. Let me try this. And then it doesn't end up working out right. Yeah. What was one that didn't well, quite work out?
1: That, I mean, you bring up a good point because for me, uh, I like fixing beers. I think like there, you know, there's an old saying in craft beer: if it doesn't if it doesn't taste like the way you want it to, dry hop it and change the name. <laughs> and so there's a lot of benefit in kind of masking flavors or you know augmenting flavors. So great failures. Um, well, I can tell you one that just happened yesterday. Uh, it, it's so uh, we have this beer that we brew. The Jaron Shepard, who's a our, who's a great, uh, is our head brewer in uh, in San Francisco. Does a lot of the. Uh, innovation that's happening within the company. All the beers that we eventually release into the world, like Keller Watermelon or Tasty IPA, mm-hmm. uh, those are all like test, tested over there. We brew them. We kind of get them where we want them to be, and then we'll eventually bring them over to the production side, and then we'll brew them here and put them in cans and kegs and send them out to the rest of the country. Mm-hmm. So what happened was, this is just a small little simple red an amber beer, mm-hmm. and we were using these experimental hops. And it did not turn out the way we wanted to. These hops were not good. Oh. Not good at all. So... I was sitting, I came in to try it because it was already kind of ready to rock and roll and and Jaron was like, I don't know, man. And so I sat down at the bar in the morning and I had the glass of beer in front of me and I tasted it. I was like, yeah, this is pretty beery. This is pretty bitter and it has this really funky kind of dusty kind of uh, aroma and flavor to it. Mm -hmm. So, and I was drinking my coffee and I had my coffee at the time and I took a sip of it and I just had this like, huh, I know what we're going to do here. Mm -hmm. We're going to blend coffee into this lactose because I had, I had milk in my coffee and we're going to make a, this cafe latte beer. And That's so, a great idea for yeah, a beer. Yeah, it really was. I mean, and so what happened was uh, we have, we have, we're doing a collaboration with Pete's Coffee, uh-huh. which we're going to release next January.
3: Oh, fantastic.
1: Yeah, so they're good friends of ours, and they have, their, you know, they have their roasting facility just up the street here in Alameda, and also their headquarters in Emeryville, and they're great people, mm-hmm. really solid people. Good and coffee, too. Yeah, very good coffee. And, uh, and so I got some coffee from them because we've been playing around with different roasts and all this, and so I got some of their atoll, which was, I think, their winter seasonal uh, roast, which has some really bright citrus notes. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we took some lactose, milk sugar, and uh, we kind of made a, you know, we made we did a cold brew of the coffee, and then we uh, mixed in the lactose, and we did a little blending experiment of how it was going to work out, and we... We put it into the beer and it's fantastic.
3: Oh, so it ended up working out great. It's
1: on today. It literally just went on today. It's called Cray Cray Cafe Latte IPA. Oh man. That's an example of like you have something, Mm. what can you do to make it right? Yeah. And that's the the great thing about it is that you just make
3: uh, lemonade out of lemons. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) If you guys were to, if somebody were to come into your brewery and they say, what are three beers that I should absolutely try? What are those three beers?
1: Yeah, uh, so kind of the beers that we're known for. um, I would definitely try our Brew Free or Die IPA. I mean, Mm -hmm. that was like, that's, that's a great West Coast style IPA. It's bright. It's got great hop flavor. It's got a assertive of bitter bitterness, but a great malt backbone. Um, I think it stands the test of time in any beer in any brewery. Uh, the other one I would try if if you're uh, if it's the summer, you know. Uh, is the Heller High Watermelon, like you mentioned. I mean, that's a great iconic beer that started off as a recipe that Nico, my business partner, developed in his apartment in San Francisco.
3: That's such an interesting concept, brewing with watermelon yeah. in a beer. But there is that fruity element to the IPA. So that's...
1: Yeah, it's it. so yeah, the, with the Heller High Watermelon Wheat Beer, I mean, you're adding this watermelon. It has like a rind-like uh, character to it. It's in the same family as cucumber watermelon is. And so and then you have this fruity element to it. So, you know, I would that's like iconic beer. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, and, and the last one, actually, kind of, uh, I would try, um, well, I would try the Blood Orange Brew for you. That, that came out, like, last year, and that has this huge, big Blood Orange component to it, but it has these great hops in there that complement the citrus, you know, high notes, uh, tartness of Blood Orange. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that beer's just taken off as well. It's hugely popular.
3: What is next for the brewery? So
1: what we just came out, we're about to launch, is a new beer called Spark Ale, and this is kind of a hybrid between a uh, a cider and a beer. So we're using apple we're using uh, apple juice as well as grain based sugars huh. to create this really dry, tart like. Uh, it's a beer for technical purposes, but it tastes like a cider. And then we're and then we back sweetened it. We it also has. Um, peach juice, it has cranberry juice and cherry juice in it. And it is like, it's super refreshing, it's, it's a sparkling rose ale, that's how it's kinda listed. Interesting. And it's 5.5% alcohol, and it's just, I mean, it's, a, it's an all day fun thing to drink.
3: Yeah, so is, is it kinda like a lambic then?
1: Not at all, it doesn't okay. have any sort of funkiness to it at all, it's a straight clean fermentation, and then it's got this sweetness and this tartness and this fruitiness that it, that's in the background there, and it's, uh, it's quite delicious.
3: I can't wait to try that.
1: Yeah. It's, so you guys are going to
3: be expanding to Colorado pretty soon.
1: Yeah. We actually just launched in Colorado not too long ago. Um, and that's that's a market we've been wanting to go in for a long time. I've been going to the Great American Beer Festival uh, for probably 30 years. So mm-hmm. you know there's great craft beer in Colorado. So to finally like be able to get our beer in there is really exciting.
3: Outside of Colorado, what's the next state that you guys would love to get into?
1: You know, I think we are talking about Texas right now. We're looking into Texas. Texas is a great state. And so we've been looking into it for a while and just trying to make that work.
3: What's the nerdiest thing about you?
1: Okay, probably the nerdiest thing about me is I love to plane spot. Okay, yeah, that's like hyper outside Yeah, because well, yeah. I fly a lot, and okay. so I, I love to fly. I love every aspect of it. I'm yeah. not bothered by security. I'm not, bar- borrowed, I'm not bothered by the process at all. Uh-huh. I mean, it's a ballet. You so know? do you have a
3: pilot's license? No,
1: I don't. I don't know if oh. I would ever do that because I feel like <laughs> I had a good friend of mine. I was growing up who had a pilot's license and didn't make Passenger, it. Passenger, so. not pilot. Yeah, so I mean, I just like it. I geek out on it. I mean, a good friend of mine who's in the beer industry is a... A beer judge, actually, um, uh, he's a, a pilot for Delta, and so when we go out to the GABF. He'll take me out to the old Stapleton Airport in Denver. And he has a friend who, United has their training facility out there. And so we'll go out there and we'll fly these, you know, huge, big, like, simulators that kind of move and all this. And you see it and you're, like, flying. like It's a cockpit of a 7777. And you're, like, uh-huh. so, I don't know. I just, like, I, I like geeking out on planes. I, like, have an app. So when a plane flies over me, I say, hey, where's that plane going? I mean, mm-hmm. the idea that you can be anywhere in the world in eight hours or, you know, even further than, you know, it's just... I think it's fantastic. I be, I belong to this big jet TV uh, um, group on Facebook where it's uh, where they all they do is this this guy named Jerry uh, and there's a lot of people that belong to this all over the world and all he does is he sits on the roof of a hotel and he he has planes land in and out of uh, LHR London Heathrow so yeah. and he talks about it he's he's pretty like. And so you kind of, like, pull that up on a Saturday morning and watch him doing it, and it's it's hilarious. And you kind of geek out on it. I mean, it's the rush of the noise, the power of the engines and all this. Mm-hmm. You know, It, it really
3: is. A, it's like a technical marvel, too, yeah. because just getting these planes into the air, exactly. the lift system it's, and everything, it's It's insane.
1: It's the idea that you can get that big, of, like an A380. Or an A380 yeah. is a huge, big plane, Airbus. And, like, the fact that thing at some point becomes weightless.
3: Mm-hmm. That's crazy. It's fascinating. <laughs> I mean, it's literally physics, but it's fascinating.
1: Yeah. If physics. you like, if you like, if you had been like, you know, if you took that back to some culture, you know, like in the, you know, the twenties or you know even earlier than that, and people saw that, you would think it was that was an alien spaceship. Mm-hmm. You know, now we just take it for granted. Mm-hmm. But it's insane. You're
3: flying at thirty six thousand feet you know, over the ocean Mm -hmm. and you have Wi-Fi. You're going the speed of sound and you can text somebody on your phone. It's the most insane thing. Yeah. And you like,
1: you know, and you get upset when the Wi-Fi doesn't
3: work. It's like, (laughs) give it a second. It's going to outer space. (laughs) Well, and that's, that's the new thing is that they're bringing free, a bunch of uh, carriers are bringing free Wi-Fi too, which just
1: blows my mind. I love it, man. You're sitting, you're like a, you're like a Lord and like a a God (laughs) sitting in a, you know, in a a chair in an aluminum tube like being hurtled through the air. I mean, it's if you think about it long enough you take it for granted oh yeah it's insane Uh that even happens oh my
3: god what's (laughs) what's your favorite place to fly uh
1: I like flying everywhere I mean I'm like I travel a lot I mean I was in uh, about three weeks ago I was in Tokyo um you know I'll go to Europe a couple times a year um i love, I love traveling to other countries. My family grew up in Europe uh, for about three years so we lived in Germany just outside of oh, okay of Munich and so we would travel everywhere and so I really got a taste of traveling you know we would we would drive everywhere I learned to ski in Austria we would mm-hmm. take our little blue box back VW all over the all over Europe and so you know to meet other cultures I mean if you want to stop kind of like you want to stop sort of the the insulated society that we have it seems like right now in this world or in this country yeah. get out and meet people exactly because they're just like you and I yeah they may look different you look different to them so anyway don't and if used...
3: you want to get great beer too Germany is yeah. a great Germany's place Germany is a great place
1: okay. there's great places to get craft, get craft
3: beer I've heard Iceland is really nice too in terms of beer I actually that Reykjavik has some great
1: breweries there is a brewery in Iceland I've been talking back and forth with the, uh, with the brewer there And uh, that's, I think we're going to do something there this year, head over there, just as an excuse to go there. Yeah. That's the, that's kind of the thing where your business, your business agenda pushes your personal agenda and it goes back and forth and it gets a little fuzzy. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. That ha- actually speaking of plane geek stuff, now we're getting off topic here. It's, it's totally but, fun. But I like um, so I was flying back on we our beer used to be on Virgin America, mm-hmm. and so uh, the way it happened was really interesting. I was flying back on Virgin America, and it's since gone out of business, so our beer's not there anymore. <laughs> so flying back from Boston, and I tweeted about my experience, and I'm going to sound like a 15 year old schoolboy now, but I was like, and they followed me back, and then I asked them like because they have great planes, great staff great food, great mm-hmm. wine, cocktails, but their beer program was shite, mm-hmm. and so they just didn't have craft beer up there, and so I managed to somehow communicate to the person on Twitter that, hey, uh, I've got a craft brewery in San Francisco, They're a local, they were a local company as well down in Burlingame, and I said, how can we get, how can we get cra- our craft beer up there? Well, it turned out Rob Gallagher, who was in charge of InFlight for Virgin America, Robert Gallagher, he lived around the corner from the 21st Amendment and was a huge fan of ours. So we had a meeting in February, I forget the year right now, and then that, uh, that fall, our beer was up in the air. Mm-hmm. And that was phenomenal. But the cool thing about it, the plane geek in me was thinking the whole time, was we're going to do press photos of Nico and I walking around on, on the tarmac at SFO, holding up our cans with the planes in the background. Mm-hmm. And it happened. <laughs> So once it happened, I was like, "All right, that's it. We've made it. I've made it. I don't have to do anything else. Uh, I, I, you know, if this go, if this doesn't work out for, if this is this done in a year? I'm done. But it went on for like nine, ten years. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun.
3: Have you heard anything about the brew the brew flights? Like, I guess they're going to be doing these out of New England. They're um, they like have specifically chartered planes that have just a bunch of craft beer on them. And they're oh, just really? No, I have not. That
1: sounds awesome. Yeah, drinking and. Flying planes is like uh, it's an American tradition. Yeah, that's right.
3: It's it's the American or <laughs> it's a new one yeah. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the new American dream. Yeah. Well,
1: that's uh, my plane geek. That's that's yeah. awesome. Nerd life.
3: <laughs> what we normally do is we we normally talk like about comic books and video games yeah. and like you know nerdy TV shows and so my so my
1: stuff. video games that I play because my I have a fifteen and a half year old. son. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm into uh, the first uh, Star Wars Battlefront. Yeah. I like yeah, that. Yeah. I like sitting down there for forty five minutes. Do three rounds and just and just just dis, disengage from everything else and get into it.
3: You seem like a, the kind of guy that would be really into like playing simulators.
1: Uh, I probably was like when I was younger and I had like a PC or something like that, but I don't really have time. To, I don't. I haven't gotten into it. I don't even know if there's anything. Probably, there are probably things out there as well. But the other game I just got into is um, oh, we always get the name wrong because we always make fun of the name. Uh, Red Red Dead Redemption. Yes.
3: So is it the second one? Second one.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's really, a, that's a fun game. Yeah. Like, so when my son and I will play, he'll like, he'll do it and I'll do it and kind of go back and forth and we're doing the storyline right now. And mm-hmm. it's, it, but the problem with that game is you can lose hours of your life. Like, literally, yep. you're like, eh. I'm going to go to bed now. (laughs) Right,
3: exactly. You're like, man, I just spent the last 20 minutes walking through camp. What's going on? (laughs) And you can't run through camp. That's (laughs) right. You can only walk. Walk. You can't. Yeah. Yeah. Alfred.
1: (laughs) No, no, Arthur, Arthur. Yeah, Arthur. (laughs) Did you
3: notice the, uh, they made, Rockstar made this big, uh, not to get too crass or anything, but Rockstar made a really big deal out of, uh, while they were developing the game, um, that the horse's testicles would change size depending on how warm or cold the climate was that you, you were know, riding through. <laughs> I, I didn't.
1: My son told me about that. I didn't notice it, but that's interesting. The, the other thing is that you know the the horse's crap. You know, it's oh, like, it's yeah, just yeah. Like, like yeah, yeah. Not the, that's interesting. There was some like some creative like person. There was like in a meeting going we like, "Listen, this is what needs to happen. <laughs> when they get cold, they have to pull up. We
3: need to we need to write that into the code." Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> has to have this portion. Exactly. God, ten years ago they were talking about how oh man, beard physics are going to be totally different. <laughs> now it's like oh, horse testicles are going to be totally. It's <laughs> just yeah. how technology has changed.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a wild game. It's uh it's kind of a it's just. I'm just amazed by it. Like you're just the way you move through it. The gameplay is incredible. The, you know, just the you're you're the story and the the storyline, the acting, and the yeah, the voice, the voices, and all this. I mean, these are serious actors that are doing it, and just the, you know, it just looks beautiful. You're like Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you're like, oh my god, this is insane. Like when you you go into that one city, that big city, I forget the name of it right now, and you're just like it's like New Orleans or something like that, and you're just like, whoa, a lot going on here.
3: I gotta, I gotta get a next gen console so I can play it because I haven't played it yet. Yeah, it's, it's
1: it's fun, but you you will lose hours and days off your life. I mean, I always say <laughs> to my son, he says, "We should just get a. We need to do is we need to totally geek out of this. We need to get like liters of Mountain Dew and just Domino's pizza coming in on the hour.
3: <laughs> that's the way to do it, man. Yeah. That's how we did it back in the day. We would yeah. sit down with yeah. like our we, you know, wire our uh, Xboxes together and we'd play Halo like yeah. hours and hours yeah. on end. 21st Amendment Brewing is a fantastic facility. Um, outside of what you guys brew, are there f- a couple of beers that are uh, that have kind of influenced what you guys do from other craft brews, like within the Bay Area or within uh, within the greater craft beer landscape? Well,
1: yeah. I mean, for me, I mean, I cut my teeth on some early craft breweries that are still very relevant and make great beer today. I mean, one is Anchorstein. Mm-hmm. I mean, that beer was probably one of the... You know, one of the beers that kind of like, you know, when I was a, when I was home brewing in Los Angeles and going to father's office on Montana Avenue in Santa Monica, mm-hmm. like and, you know, t- drinking that beer. I mean, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, the other an iconic beer that really stands the test of time. You know, right now it's sort of a rotating nation of craft beer out there. So you go to your local craft beer bar and you look up there and you see a lot of different types of beer with different ingredients at it, like, you know. Graham, graham Cracker, Oatmeal Stout, you know, those types of beers. And those are fine, those are interesting, but for me, it's, sometimes it's kind of a, a little bit of a crapshoot on what you're going to like or what you're sure, not going to yeah. like. So anytime I see Sierra Nevada Pale Ale up on that board, I will order it every time because you know exactly what you're going to get. It's mm-hmm. a great beer. It's a solid beer. So, so definitely Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Another beer that I really like actually from Anchor as well is their Christmas Ale. And so that was the influence for early on. I made a beer at the pub called, uh, just called Holiday Spicedale. Pretty generic name. Mm -hmm. And then that morphed into what our winter seasonal is our holiday seasonal, which is called Fireside Chat.
3: Which is what I'm drinking right here. I love it. Thank you. Yeah, Yeah, it's very spicy and it's it's warming.
1: Yeah, it's got a great, it's a winter warmer so it's got this great like great malt backbone and it's got this really complicated spice mm-hmm. spicing going on there but it's not overwhelming it's not something that's gonna like knock your head head out with. The, it's integrated Yeah. to me and, to me with brewing it's about harmony it's like every single ingredient needs to play well with the other ingredients you don't want something that stands out that's screaming at me hey look at me over here look at me I'm like the, in that beer that you're having right now the fireside chat you know adding too much cinnamon would be like you know the, this is a cinnamon beer no you mm-hmm. want those other you, know, you want the all spice. You want the, you know, the ground pepper. You want all the other ingredients to be, you know, playing well together.
3: Oh, it's a fantastic beer. And everything that I've had here so far has been great. Thank you. Uh, Sean O'Sullivan, 21st Amendment Brewing. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah. Uh, thanks for coming in and keep drinking great beer. Well, guys, that was really informative. And and interesting. I had no idea he was as big of a nerd as he says he was. Uh, so at this point during the podcast, we uh, it is the moment that all of us have been waiting for and it is the beer of the month and hold on while we oh yeah there it is kevin what is it that we are drinking today
0: we are uh drinking by twenty First amendment brewing brew free or die
3: IPA. Mm hmm. And John, what is it that you have there that you're drinking?
2: I have an ice cold Coors Light. <laughs> <laughs> and and what? <clears throat> why is that, John? I have a Coors Light because Twenty First Amendment Brewery isn't distributed within a hundred miles of Grand Rapids, Michigan. We couldn't mm-hmm. get it here
3: in time. <laughs> yeah, they actually uh, they have not distributed out to the Midwest just yet, but they do have a lot of beers in um, uh, in New England, which is why mm-hmm. Kevin was able to find it. So Kevin, what is your first impression after tasting this beer?,
0: oh, first my my very first impression, um, well, I, I am a hot forward individual. I love IPAs, okay? Uh, and what amazes me uh, that this is a single IPA that has an IBU of 70. That's usually double IPA territory. Mm-hmm. And that's usually the magic number for me because I love the bitter. But here's the thing. You don't really taste the bitter so much on this uh, because the malt is so heavy. Uh, it, so instead of being like hop forward, it is malt forward. And it gives almost... Uh, kind of a butterscotchy lingering taste. It has a strong backbone mm-hmm. uh, at the at the back of your throat, uh, and it's it's something that you don't necessarily expect if you've been drinking, uh, say, like a super hoppy double IPA or even a more citrusy um, like session IPA mm-hmm. or New England IPA. Uh, it's this is something that is very distinct, and you don't see very much of this. Kind of multi IPA.
3: I'm really amazed with how smooth it is. Yeah, Uh, yeah. Because you don't really get a whole lot of that IPA bite. Mm -hmm. Um, It's it's incredibly smooth. It's the kind of thing that yeah, you could probably be drinking this. I think the closest uh, the closest beer to me in terms of taste would actually be like the centennial IPA from founders because it has that same characteristic of being very smooth and really malt forward and delicious I actually like it I'm not really a big fan of IPAs
0: is this is this something that I am going to go to uh on a cold winter day like today uh yeah I this is a perfectly good beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, it doesn't remind me of summer. It doesn't remind me of wanting to go out in a boat. You know, like some some citrusy uh, IPAs do. This is this is more stay at home, tend the hearth. You know, uh, honestly, I, I I don't really disagree. I, I love Beer Advocate ratings uh, because typically, if there's a lot of beers and stuff out there, uh, you can uh, see what what the most people think of this and this this is rated very good on beer advocate it's a 3.86 out of 5 with mm-hmm. over 3300 reviews uh that that alone tells you that it's worth drinking and if you can find it near you you should probably pick it
3: up john how would you rate the beer that you are currently drinking
2: on a scale of 1 to 5 what was it 2.4 mm-hmm. no <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean uh, Course Light's been a go to since I was a wee lad, you know? So uh I would have definitely drank the beer if I could have gotten it. Uh last night Drew and I were actually at Horrocks, and I got a orange juice apple or no, orange juice apple cider mixed Ooh. um drink out of a keg and it was actually really, really tasty. What was that called? Starcut? Starcut. And I'm not sure the brewer, but that was that was really tasty, and I think the other day I had a KBS. So I do drink actual beers, but <laughs> just couldn't get this
3: one. It's you know what? It's okay,
0: <laughs> John. I want I'm gonna read to you a review on Beer Advocate about Court. Please do. Light. Like, all right. As I sip this, uh, this is uh, this is by somebody who rated it a five out of five. I believe a person's beer of choice says a lot about them, and this beer says I'm down to have a good time. But I'm a lover, and a fighter, if I have to be, but less chill. Whenever I buy a case at the store, I get nods from people. You don't get that with other beers. Look, this may be an adjunct, but oh man. This is an American beer, and this is how it should be. It's probably the easiest drinking full domestic flavored beer out there. In my life, I probably consumed this side of 10,000 of these bad boys, and there's a reason for that. It's the perfect go-to beer. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs)
2: <laughs> okay. I have to agree in a certain sense of being say it's 90 degrees, you're not going to drink 4 or 5
3: IPAs. You're going to drink water, thick, which is know? why you go with Coors.
2: Exactly. It's going to leave you <laughs> hydrated and drunk at the same time. Now, so. now, now,
0: Coors isn't Schlitz.
3: <laughs> Okay. I mean, awesome. it's fine. But <laughs> it's you know what? Whatever floats your boat. I exactly. will go with what has taste as opposed to what is going to hydrate me. We're so at this point out, in the podcast, I'm gonna get you some stuff out there. Don't you worry. Okay. Okay. And don't don't send me cores. I think I'll be good on cores. I'm gonna send one I'm cores just... every time I send you a package. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to add, start adding up. We're just going to have a
2: tower of Coors, because <laughs> you'll never drink it. So.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'll make a uh, an Iron Throne out of it, like a Game of Thrones Iron <laughs> Throne of just Coors. Uh, yes.
2: Taste
3: oh, the Rockies. God. So at this point in the podcast, we would normally have a sponsor. But since we don't really currently have a sponsor, we turn to Kevin for Sponsor Me Senpai. Welcome to
0: the segment of the show where I sell the sound of my speaking voice for a six-pack of beer. Now, in the past, we've had food sponsors like Tom and Chi, and while I gorged myself on grilled cheese donuts every time I was around, I feel it didn't encompass enough of my passion. Alcohol. Now, when we're looking for a beer sponsor, you can't just swing for the fences and ask Sam Adams to give you money. You also want to aim a bit higher than your local craft beer maker that has spent all of their GoFundMe capital on bar tops. No, you aim for the regional with hopes of going national. So, while I'd like to ask Bells to sponsor us, they don't need my brand of middle-aged white guy podcaster to sell it. No, I'm looking for somebody that needs some good publicity right now. Trillium Brewing Company, you need some and you're out of Boston. Now, Trillium was expanding rather fast. They opened up a new tap room in downtown Boston and bought some land in Stonington, Connecticut for another brewery expansion. But then, well, they had some bad publicity last fall. A former employee railed against the brewery, saying that they paid their employees poorly and canned the best beer to be shipped out, leaving the bottom of the tanks for the taps. And even breaking the law by pouring a bottle of tequila in a vat that was called a tequila barrel aged beer. Trillium has done a huge PR turnaround. They've increased their employee wages from uh, $5 on up to $15 and even $18 an hour and has largely fought the allegations of messing with their beer. That said, you guys could use a schmuck like me talking about how great your beer is because it is great. And if you sponsor our show, I can promise you I will drink one of your delicious concoctions every day and spread the word of your brewery to a thirsty market sponsor me senpai I
3: love it we'll give yeah. we'll give a golf clap to that round trillion brewing applause. hit up hit up yo boys okay guys uh, and that will round out the very first episode of the food court of nerds uh, I'm West Coast Avenger Greg joined by Captain Dick Sledge and John Sledge do you have anything at all that you would like to plug
0: uh, I'm going to totally plug Uh, The the reverse centaur podcast, the long suffering, patient and heroic DM, um, you know, (laughs) leads the the witless morons of an adventuring group through tales of adventure and woe, if they can ever get off the fucking spaceship. No, it's not. So uh, listen to reverse centaur, a podcast uh, that is on any of your local uh, podcast devices.
3: John, what you got to plug?
2: On our little main cast, there's a segment called John Does Movies. You You gotta sing it. You you gotta gotta sing it. Oh, I'm I'm sorry.
3: John Does Movies! There it is. All
2: right. Where I give you my opinion, whether you like it or not. (laughs) We always like it, John. We always like it. Oh, no. Not everyone. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks, people on YouTube. I appreciate you. (laughs) makes me feel more human so
3: that's it and with that we will say we will say goodbye to the very first episode of the Food Court of Nerds make sure you go to thecourtofnerds.com to like us if you happen to be on iTunes Podcasts, maybe give us a like subscribe or uh, any other thumbs up that you feel is appropriate Perhaps if you would also like to uh, follow any of our other works, make sure you go to thecourtofnerds.com. We're all there. And that will be it for this episode of the Food Court of Nerds.
2: Hi, I'm Stephanie Shay, and I am a close personal friend with the Court of Nerds.